Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. When something we want to be different has been the same for far too long, we start asking a question, and unfortunately, many of us think we already know the answer to that question. Here's the question, and it also happens to be the title of the series that we're beginning today. Will it always be like this? Will it always be like this? Will our marriage always be less than what we hope for? Will I always have a bad temper and react this way when I'm under pressure? Will I always be passed over for the promotion? Will those in power continue to benefit and profit from their oppression of those beneath them? Will the pain ever subside? Is our nation going to be divided and polarized for the rest of my life? Will anxiety and depression be with me forever? Will I always feel far away from God? And as we ask that singular question over the series, there are a couple of other questions that I think we have to delve into, and we will over the collection of the next several weeks. It's these two questions related but somehow different. The first one is this. Can I actually have hope for things to be different? Anybody want to know the answer to that question? The second question goes with it, but it asks a different question at the end. Can I actually have hope if things remain the same? Today, for week one, I want to ask a question as the title of this message, and it will sound almost identical to the title of the whole series, but there's just one letter difference. Is that okay? And here's the one letter difference. The title of today's message is this question, will I always be like this? Will I always be like this? We ask this question when we feel stuck. We ask this question when we've been in the same seat at the company for far too long. We ask this question when we're trying to find another person to date, but we've kind of ruined all of the relationships prior to this one. We ask this question when we don't imagine things ever getting better. We ask it, of course, when we've been single for longer than we've ever wanted to be. By the way, I want to go ahead and plug next week passionately. Do not miss in person next week. I think it's one of those that you really need to be in the room for next week. Next week, I'm going to give a message that I'm calling Left Without. And here's why you need to be in the room. Every single one of us, most of us have already, but all of us will in our future be left without a relationship we used to have due to death or divorce or a friend walking out on us or a parent abandoning us or our kids wanting nothing to do with us. Or many of us are going to be left without the relationship we always dreamed of. And I'm going to show us next week how do we go on living with hope when we've been left without what we thought we would always have or what we always dreamed of, but it looks like we will never have. 
So I think it's one of those you want to be in the room for next week. Love that you guys are tuning in online. If you're sick, if you're not in San Francisco, totally get it. But if you can be in the room, be in the room. Is it better in the room? They can't see you. They need to hear you. It's better in the room. Nine o'clock coming strong today, by the way. I'm very impressed. You'll be even stronger nine o'clock next week when we gain an hour. I mean, it's going to be dark at 4.57 p.m., but we're going to get an hour next Saturday, next Saturday night. Will I always be like this? It's no fun asking that question or having to ask that question, is it? But when we stop asking the question, it could mean and indicate that hope has evaporated from our lives completely. And just as a man, not as a pastor, not as even a follower of Jesus, just as a man who walks this earth, I don't know that I and you can go on living without hope. I just don't know that it's possible. And, and sometimes we find ourselves stuck and we end up in this hopeless situation. And that's exactly where the person is when we're introduced to her today. If you have a Bible, I'm going to be in John chapter 4. And some of you who've maybe been in church for a bit, you're like, I know this story. And even if you know this story of the woman I'm going to address in just a moment, I want to give you a fresh lens to look at this story with. And here's the lens, just the big idea of the series. Will it always be like this? I want you to look at it through the lens as she comes into this moment with Jesus thinking, will it always be like this? Will I always be like this? And she's pretty confident she already knows the answer. And maybe that's where you came in today. You already know, Ben, don't give me the religious stuff. I already know the answer. I'm always going to be like this or it, that thing in my life or our city or our world. It's always going to be like this. But what, what if it's not? Stand with me. John chapter 4, verses 4 through 18. Some of you are doing quick math. You're like, Ben, that's 15 verses. I'm like, it's a story. It will move swiftly. Here we go. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John puts this in parentheses for us. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Or maybe your translation says, Jews do not even use dishes that, dishes that Samaritans have used. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have turned the tables and asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus is like, Do we want to keep things on the surface or go down to the deep? Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Be seated and get that if you need to. Her desires and dreams are things of the past. You see, her life began where all of our lives begin. 
full of aspirations and high hopes. But somewhere along the way, she's chosen to do some things that she can never recover from. And people have done things to her that have left a permanent mark on her life. Maybe you know what it's like to have had dreams. I mean, we all begin there, right? Uh, You used to lie awake at night imagining all of the wonderful possibilities in front of you. You were living with passion and vision. You knew what you wanted out of life and you were dead set on going after it. But something happened, didn't it? You chose the wrong group of friends. You dabbled in something that got a grip on you and now it won't let go. Your family of origin messed you up. Over the last two or three years, you experienced a mental health crisis and you're not sure you will ever come out of it. This woman was stuck. And maybe that's exactly where you are today and you can name the category that you're stuck in. Some of you might just raise your hand and go, Ben, I'm stuck everywhere. I'm stuck financially, I'm stuck relationally, I'm stuck spiritually, I'm stuck in this city, I'm stuck at my job, I'm just stuck with this idea about life, I'm stuck with my cynicism, I'm, du- I'm stuck with criti- critical spirit, I'm just stuck. And you may say things like, this is just who I am. Sure, life works out for everyone else, but it never really seems to work for me. You might even go so far as to say is, I had a chance and I blew it. It will always be like this, you say. Let's face it, you say, I will always be like this. But friend, what if you don't have to always be like this? What if there's a God who would encounter you on October 30th, 2022, right where you're watching this or right here in this room? And what if there's a church community that wants to be present in your life to let you know, I used to think I would always be like that, but now I'm like this. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not who I used to be. What if you could be surrounded by that kind of community? And what if it didn't matter if you had messed up just a few times or you had screwed your entire life up? What if it didn't matter what gender you were or how old you were or how long you have or have not been in a church? What if that God could meet you in this moment and you could walk out a different person than you came in? Am I the only one who believes that's possible? There's three of us that believe that's possible. The great news for you and the great news for this woman is she didn't have to have that belief to encounter Jesus and be changed forever. I believe today God's going to blow up some of your assumptions about you and about him. I believe we need to have a church where some of our assumptions and putting God in, our, in a box and thinking we have ourselves figured out and we know exactly how the world's going to work in the future and we know exactly what we will get in the future and what we won't get. I, need, I think some of that needs to be blown up today. And so I'm asking and I've been begging, our team has been begging, people showed up early here to pray that God would move in your heart today and when he does, I just want you to be receptive. I just want you to be open. The great thing about this woman, she didn't have to know it all, but she did have to be present to it. She, she didn't have to have it all figured out, but she did need to be in the middle. And I mean, have you ever been stuck? Have you ever been stuck in a habit or a pattern? Have you ever been stuck in something you didn't want to be in any longer, and yet you're like, I know I don't want to be here, but I don't know how to get out? Some of you, and it makes sense because of the brutal events we've been through over the last two or three years, it makes sense that you're just stuck. 
And I want you to know that we, because we've been leading this church, Will, Lindsay, and I have all been leading this church for over a decade together. So we've seen lots of trajectories and trends. We've seen lots of ebbs and flows. We've heard kind of all the stories. In fact, it's kind of a competition among the three of us to come back with a story you've never heard before. And you guys are keeping us on our toes. And so we've seen a lot, but think about this. Over the last two or three years, some people are still just stuck. And listen, we were all stuck for a moment. What do I do with this whole pandemic thing and the home thing? And, 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 and a lot of you, the reason you're still watching online, yes, some of you are watching from all over the world. Some of you are sick. Some of you are, 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 have just had a baby. Like, keep watching online. We are invested in this ministry. We'll keep bringing it to you. But some of you, you're just stuck. Like you're literally stuck in the house. You're literally stuck in isolation. Some of us in this room, we show up anonymously once every six weeks and think somehow we're going to get unstuck. I just don't know that that will do it for us. It wouldn't do it for me. It's not because I get paid to be here, although I guess I get paid to be here. And there's a part of me, if I'm honest, because of my compassion for you who are stuck, there's a part of me that wants to just leave you be. There's a part of me that doesn't want to make you uncomfortable. But what I know is growth is always uncomfortable. Transformation always starts with the first uncomfortable step, doesn't it? And I care way too much about you to allow you to stay where you are. And our leaders at Epic care way too much about you to let you stay where you are. What I want to do with this woman's story and with our story is I want to give you five assumptions she walked into her day with, and they were all obliterated by her encounter with Jesus. And I wonder if any of these five assumptions or multiple of these assumptions you possess as you walk in today or wherever you may be watching from, I'm going to give you five assumptions. But what's really cool is even if you don't have one of these five assumptions, you probably have some other assumptions and an encounter with Jesus will take care of those assumptions too. Here's the first assumption I want to give you. I will always be treated as inferior to other people. When she woke up that day, the assumption that she walked into this moment with Jesus and the reason she's there and the reason she's stunned that he's talking to her is because here's the assumption she had. I will always be treated as inferior to other people. Do you know that assumption? Do you have a history of being treated as less than because of your race or your gender or your age or your vocation or because of the money you make or you don't make or because of a physical handicap or because of where you're from? Do you have history with that? She knows what it's like, and she's come to expect it. She, she knows what she is, and she knows what she's not. She knows what class she belongs to, and she also knows which class she will never, ever be a part of. It's why she says to Jesus, essentially, what are you doing? How dare you talk to me? Why is that her response? Listen really closely. She's so used to being a victim of sexism and racism that she's only shocked when it's not present. I need to repeat that. She's so used to being a victim of sexism and racism that she's only shocked when it doesn't exist. She's like, whoa, this is new. This is new. In this day and time that we're walking into right there in the first century, you need to know that Jews avoided contact with Samaritans. You need to know that men did not speak in public to women, even to their wives. You also need to know that religious male leaders would never discuss spiritual matters or theological issues with women. Side note, I am so looking forward to gathering with our epic teaching cohort tonight. Some of you know this, but back in April, we began to gather a cohort. There are nine of us who are learning together how to teach and preach God's word 
to you and, and other places. What's cool is out of this cohort, people are now going and speaking at other churches. I'm like, no, we didn't do you. We did not raise you to go preach at other churches. I'm joking. We love sending them out. When a pastor says, hey, do you have someone who could speak for me? Absolutely, we do. But as I gather with those individuals tonight, here's what I'm really pleased to tell you. By the way, um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe some of you, like me, you grew up in a religious or even church culture that wasn't too far off of what Jesus and the Samaritan have going on in their culture. Tonight, as the nine of us gather, there will be two of us in our 50s. There will be two of us in our 40s. There will be four of us in our 30s and one of us in our 20s. Tonight, as we gather, we'll be white and Indian African-American and Puerto Rican and Korean. Tonight as we gather, four of us will be men and five of us will be women. That's what I want to be a part of. Anybody? And Jesus begins to break barriers that were really massive deals in the first century. But this woman's not the only one who's surprised. Look at verse 27. When the disciples come back, you're like, oh, these were bad people that had that cultural narrative. No, 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 no. Listen, just then, verse 27, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Even Jesus' disciples, just so you know how embedded this cultural reality was, it wasn't just kind of scandalous to this woman. It was scandalous to Jesus' disciples who weren't spending their first day with Jesus. But for the first time maybe in her life, Jesus begins to treat her like the human she was. He actually recognizes her as a person who bears the image of God. Listen, Jesus elevates her by speaking to her and by how he spoke to her. I don't know what assumption you come in today with. with you probably have attributed something to the voice of Jesus. And I want you to know that there's a good chance that what you've attributed to the voice of Jesus is not the voice of Jesus. Today, Jesus wants to elevate you. Today, he wants you to know, listen, you can't dictate how everyone else sees you, but you can find your significance in how he sees you. And church, this is one of our things, isn't it? To let each other know that we see you, I value you, I honor you, you're enough. And one of the reasons why you need to be present is because you can't contribute to this community without your presence. And you can't be seen if you're not here to be seen. And you can't see others if you're not here to see others. We've got to say to each other, I see you. And you need to know this. You are not inferior because of your race or your age or your gender or your vocation or your lack of vocation or what you don't know about the Bible or what you used to do or because you have a prison record. You are made in the image of God and we will keep reminding you of it. Can we be that kind of church? That blows the assumptions. First, we've got to let Jesus encounter us and blow our assumptions. And everyone walks in here with assumptions. What does the voice of Jesus sound like to you? If there's anything about you being inferior, that's not his voice. Second assumption. I will never be satisfied with my life. I will never be satisfied with my life. This woman has what every one of us has, which every human who's ever lived has had, and that is a thirst or an ache deep within to find satisfaction and meaning. Do you have that thirst? And Jesus uses a daily habit in her life as a metaphor for the deeper things of her life. She has this daily habit of showing up at noon, as we just read, to get water, and she does this every day, and you know why she does it, super practical, it's because she doesn't still have today the water that she had yesterday. So she shows up on the daily, and of course that makes sense, and Jesus uses that reality to say, hey, what you're doing with that water pitcher, what you're doing with that jar that you come and get water with, you're doing the same thing at a deeper level in your life. 
you have this ache and you keep looking to other things. And for her, she's looking to her relationships with men to give her what they cannot give her. Now, we don't know anything about these men, so I don't want to speculate. I'm guessing they're not the best of men, but even if they are, they still don't possess what is necessary for her to find this deep, meaningful, long-lasting satisfaction. So I want to ask you the question that Jesus is trying to expose to her. What are you currently seeking to satisfy your deepest longings? What are you currently seeking to satisfy your deepest longings? Some of us, it's pleasure. Some, it's security. Some, it's a relationship. Some, it's sex outside of God's design. Some of us, it's accomplishment. Some of us, if the stock market would just turn, we would be satisfied forever. Anybody tempted to believe it? Well, we were on the way up this week. It's still not going to do for you what only Jesus can do for you. And Jesus blows her assumption up that she would just have one repeating cycle in her life and never find ultimate or full satisfaction When he encounters her, he offers her something. Hey, I want to give you something that will last forever. That's what he wants to give you today. The thing that you're chasing, let me ask you just a few questions about it. Logical, not even theological. Um, Will that thing likely be in your life two years from now? Will that thing be in your life if you become physically impaired? Will that thing be in your life when you're in your 70s? And will that thing be in your life long after your earthly life has expired? It's just a rational question. Like, move on. Okay. Third assumption that she lived with. Because of who I am or what I've done, shame will always be part of my life. Because of who I am or what I've done, shame will always be part of my life. You know this probably, but she's there at noon because she is so full of shame. Listen to what Edward Welch writes about shame. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. She, she, she does what we all do. when she. I mean, here's her thing about coming at noon. Like, like it's one thing to be filled with self-hatred for her own self. She's got a condemning voice that's more than sufficient for putting her in her place. She doesn't want other voices and glances. Are you with me? I mean, can I be honest with you? I don't even have to be around you. I have the voices myself that even if you want to put me in a place of shame, I, I know where I went. I know what I thought. I know when I turned away from God. I know the action. I know pastors aren't supposed to do that. I know it. I can condemn myself just fine without your presence. And what shame does, maybe even for those of you who are watching all alone, what shame does, it causes us to hide just like this woman. Kirk Thompson, who's done a lot of work on shame, he writes this, hiding is the natural response to shame. Hiding is the natural response response to shame so jesus says to her hey she's like give me this living water and he's like here's what i want you to do i want you to go call your husband and come back and she says i have no husband now let's pretend like we're taking a test i have no husband true or false it's true she's telling the truth and let me tell you at this moment what jesus has to decide will i keep things above the surface Or will I go down to the depths? Does he go to the depths because he's cruel? No, he knows that the only way full healing will come is if full exposure comes. He can't cover what doesn't get uncovered. 
he can't cover in your life what you're pretending like doesn't exist. So he says, you're right. The truth is you have had five husbands and you're now living with a man who isn't your husband. And in this moment, she becomes what we're afraid to become. She becomes fully known, but not fully judged like she would have thought. She becomes fully known and fully loved. I want you to look at verses 28 and 29, what happens at the end of this encounter. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Who does that? Who starts their day avoiding all the people and ends their day going to the whole town? Tell me who does it. Someone who no longer has shame. Listen. She goes from living in isolation to living in community. She moves from hiding her story to going public with her story. And that is the transformation that's possible for us today. Some of you, you just stay anonymous. You come in after it starts. Listen, it always starts at nine. Always. And you leave before it's over. And you've told yourself that my safety is in my anonymity, and I want you to know that your danger is in your anonymity. And your isolation will crush you. So let's move from isolation back into this community. But Ben, what if they know me? Listen, if it's someone in our congregation, and they get to know the real you, and they don't pour grace and acceptance and love on you, they're not condoning your sin, we're going to live out our convictions here, then you just come and tell us. And if we have to choose between them staying or you staying, we'll choose you. Really? People that used to be leaders in our church aren't even sure they want to keep the faith. Those who used to be thriving in relationships are just self-absorbed now. Guys, come on. I mean, and think about this. I mean, when I think about the idea, I love that phrase. She, she moved from hiding her story to going public with her story. I mean, Hope Sunday is two weeks away. Some of you have been hiding your faith story, but baptism is an opportunity for you to go public with your story. And come on. If you can't do it here, are you going to follow him out there? Probably not. You don't have to hide your story at Epic. But Ben, I'm here illegally. You don't have to hide your story at Epic. But Ben, I've been married three times. I mean, I guess I'm two less than her, but I... You don't have to hide your story. Ben, I struggle with this thing. Ben, I don't have a college degree. Ben, the startup didn't work out. Ben, it doesn't matter. You don't have to hide your story here. But church, for people not to have to hide their story, we have to love like Jesus loves. We've got to say, I don't care what they say. We cannot make sure everyone else treats them a certain way, but we can't hear. In our home, sometimes what happens is our, two of our three kids that are at home uh, are at public schools and the stuff that they go through it's a little bit crazy but it kind of puts an edge on them and so sometimes that edge comes in the home you know what I'm talking about parents and they treat us like what they've been treated like I'm like no listen I and I say this and I'm going to say it to you church and this is I believe from the spirit of God because I haven't thought about it so pray for this. I can't make sure they treat you a certain way at the office unless you work here I can't make sure that your neighbors are cool with your kids being loud. I, I can't make sure that they won't call you a prejudiced name. But church, can we make sure that in this house, in our home, can we make sure that you will not have that here? 
We've got to become these kind of people. We've got to blow assumptions up. The fourth assumption she had, and it's one a lot of you have. Here it is, her assumption. My beliefs about Jesus and myself will never change. You're like her. you got it all figured out. She's like, I know he's coming. I know the Messiah is coming. I, I know what is acceptable to this God because the Jews just keep telling me. I mean, I've been around your religious leaders. I know that I don't belong. I know he's showing up. And maybe you think you've got Jesus figured out as well. You know the kind of people that he would be with, the holy people, right? The people who know a little more Bible than you know. The people who have a little cleaner past than you have. The, the, the people that are doing the right things with their business. But he's probably, you're thinking, wanting to keep his distance from someone like you. Well, you just got to get into the Gospels and let your beliefs be changed. He's coming for people just like you. Ben, you don't know my story. Oh, I know plenty of stories to know your story is not one that's past the point of him doing what he does to everyone like you. He wants to show up. He wants to elevate you. He wants you to see your significance. And what Jesus says to her is what I think he wants to say to us today. Here's, here's what he says in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask and he would give it. So then what are you telling me? Here's what I'm telling you. A lot of us talk about our beliefs and a lot of us talk about being people of faith. And a lot of us who talk about having beliefs and being people of faith don't actually believe what we say we believe. Like Ben, tell me why. Here's why. You'll see it on the screen. Your beliefs about Jesus determine what you're willing to ask of Jesus. Don't they? Why have you stopped praying to get unstuck? Because you don't think he can do it. Why have you stopped asking him to flood your heart with his love? Because you don't think you're very lovely to him. Why have you stopped asking him to give you a hope and a future? Because you don't think he can or you don't think he wants to. Your beliefs, individually, about Jesus determine what you're willing to ask of him. As a church, our beliefs about Jesus and what's possible, even in the city. I was with uh, my annual gathering of church planters this week, and they're in some really hard places. And then I get to the mic and talk about being in San Francisco, and the people that I think are in really hard places, they're like, I was on the phone with a guy who's in Chicago. Right? Not, not, not an easy place to do church and life and ministry. And he's like, man, yeah, Chicago is one thing, but where you're at is a whole different set of situations. I was like, but God can show up here. God can show up in a basement beneath Market Street. God can do that. God can rescue. He can save. He can bring revival to the city. He can bring light in a place that looks so dark, can't he? But a lot of times he's only going to do what we believe he's going to do. And I want to believe that he's going to do it. So what about your beliefs about Jesus or yourself need to be blown up? And then the fifth and final assumption that she walked in, and I imagine some of you are stuck in this place too. Um, Here was her assumption. I can't imagine ever having a reason to be filled with hope. I just, she just couldn't imagine it. Like her life was one repeating cycle. Like she can't fathom that she would ever go to sleep hopeful. She would go to sleep exhausted. She would go to sleep lonely. She would go to sleep in despair. She never imagined. And you're like, Ben, how do you know, how do you know that she left hopeful? Verse 29, to the town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Her hope is extinct when the day begins. Her hope is so full when the day ends that she has enough hope, not just for her life. That would be enough, right? 
I mean, if you're hopeless, completely in despair, your hope is extinct, and you have enough hope for your life, that is a huge win, and I want you to start there today. But she gets so much hope from her encounter with Jesus that she has enough hope for the whole town. The whole town. Can you imagine what it would be like to have so much hope for your life that you have enough hope for the whole city of San Francisco? That's how she ends her day. What if? What if? What if Jesus wants to encounter you today and blow up those five assumptions or any others that you walk into? Because here's the problem with assumptions. And it's not the thing you think I'm going to say. I know. We don't talk like that at church. The problem with assumptions is that they could be a lie from the pit of hell. But if we live as though they're the greatest gospel truth, we have no reason for hope. We would, just have, we would have no reason for hope. I read a book on hope over the last year called Keeping Hope Alive from Lewis Smedes, and here's what he says, and I want you to consider yourself one of these or the other. Maybe you'll even see who you used to be, but who you are now. He writes, the attitude typical of the person who lives by fate is one of resignation. The attitude typical of the person who lives by faith is one of hope. Are we just going to keep resigning ourselves that this is as good as it gets? That this is all it will ever be and I am all I will ever be? Or would we find even an ounce of faith and hope in this moment to go, all right, God, I'm going to push towards the hope quotient once again. I want to believe, I want to be crazy enough to believe that what this woman experienced, I can experience today. And I'm going to call some of you to no longer be people who claim you have faith. I'm actually going to claim you to put your faith in Jesus today. I'm going to invite you to to, to actually make that claim true. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, let me tell you this. At the end of the day, who cares if your pastor and your small group leader and your spouse thinks you're a Christian, but you've actually never got to know Jesus? You might appear to win, but in the end, you will lose. And so I think some of us, it's just time to drop our pride and go, I want what she got. I don't want religion. I I don't want going through motions. I don't just want songs and sermons. I don't just want to go on mission trips. I want Jesus. Spent time recently with a young adult. And uh, this person getting very involved in a bunch of church kind of activities and said to me, I realized that I was allowing my church activity to make me believe I was building my spiritual life. And so, yes, we want you here because we're going to try to point you to Jesus. Our vision is really clear. We're going after Jesus with everything we have. But you can actually be in an environment where a lot of us are pursuing Jesus and literally have him say to you, I'm not sure you know who I am yet. And so today, would today be the day where you would say, hey, now that I know the gift of God, I'm going to ask. I want to put my faith in Jesus today. For others of you, you have that faith in Jesus. And today would be the day where you said, I'm I'm done hiding my story, Ben. Listen, you have sent us 13 reasons why baptism might not be for you, but today you've heard it's time to go public with your story and what a freeing thing this will be. Not only will it build courage for this moment, it will build courage for your future. It will allow you to go after things in your vocation. It will allow you to pray certain things. It will allow you to share your faith. Others of us, we need to share our faith. We've been so private about our faith that when people see us, they're like, oh, you're a Christian? I mean, one of the things that happens here from time to time, and it's not because we set it up this way, but someone will recognize, this happened at at, at, uh, my small group just a few weeks ago, Um, these two individuals recognized that they both worked at the same company. 
You see, if you lack integrity in public, you might not want to see those people at church on Sunday. None of these guys did. They're both good guys. My point is only, only this. Some of us have been hiding our faith story, and, and we've justified it. And, and, and even sometimes I encourage you, yeah, you don't have to be too public with it. I don't want it to be weird. But the truth is, people should notice that something's different about your life. How do you take it public? Maybe it's through baptism. Maybe it's through inviting people this week. I think everyone that you work with and live around and know or even used to go to this church or other churches who aren't in church anywhere, this coming Sunday's message where we talk about how do you live when you've been left without, the baby you're not going to have, the the, the marriage you're not going to have, the relationship with your parents you used to have, the friend that walked out on you, I'm just telling you, I I would get in the room. But for today, what assumptions is Jesus blowing up right now? What is he wanting to rewrite in your story? Is it removing shame? Is it bringing deep satisfaction? Is it telling you, hey, the thing you're looking and chasing after, that's not going to do what you think it's going to do? And, and let's be honest, we know this by now, don't we? We still give in to it, but we, we should know this by now. How many of you, your beliefs about Jesus and or yourself, those things need to be blown up? What is possible that you used to think wasn't possible? And then some of you, you're like, man, I had so much hope in 2019. Um, if your hope was in having a pandemic-free life, then you lost that. If your hope was in everything being like it's always been, you lost that. But if your hope was in Jesus, you don't have to give up that hope. But can we reclaim your hope you had in Jesus? I want to pray for you today. And speaking of that, I want to invite you. If You guys, we want to become a praying church that stops hiding and stops allowing our, starts allowing ourselves to be exposed so that we can be covered. And I just want you to know that... Um, If you want to come and pray at this altar, it's available. If you want to be prayed over by um, a leader or a pastor here at Epic, that's available. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, would you just lift a hand with our eyes closed? I want to just lead you in that prayer. I want you to know it's possible for you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, for those of you with your hands up or even those of you who don't, I, I want to say you can just do what this woman did. Jesus, I now know that your gift that you're offering. I know it's available to the Samaritan woman and it's available to me. So if you mean this, that I can really have this gift of God, this living water, this eternal life, Jesus, would you save me from a life without you? And would you bring me into a life with you? I know that he, he does that. It doesn't that's not everything you and Jesus need to talk about probably this week, but that's a great start to the conversation. And then others of you, I mean, again, it's a public thing. So how many of you would just raise a hand and say, hey, I know that baptism is a step for me, but I need the courage to, to step into that over the next couple of weeks. Would you raise your hand? Awesome. It's great. And for any of you who just put your faith in Jesus, this is for you as well. I love that. So I want to pray, Jesus, would you help these individuals go public with the story of what you've done? God, remind them that you love them, you are for them, and they are in a community who is going to celebrate and cheer them on. Would you move in their midst? Would they, before they walk out of here today, let us know by card or in conversation, they want to have the experience of baptism, going public with their story of faith in you. And then for any of you, um, again, I'm about to pray, and then Seth's going to lead us in a song that he wrote early on in the pandemic that I think is so moving. Um, but anybody just feel stuck? You don't have to declare what area it is, but maybe relationally or spiritually or vocationally or in your family of origin or with your mental health. We just raise a hand that I could pray over you. Anybody just stuck somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. And again, after I pray for you, I want to invite, we're going to stand, but guys, you can be prayed for here. You can come and pray alone. Um, 
Jesus, you know every person who just raised their hand and said, I'm stuck in this area. You know the area. I pray that they would be willing to fully expose and be honest with you. And God, may they know that they can be fully exposed and fully covered. Um, Jesus, may they drop the shame through the encounter with you. Drop the shame of who they think they've become the last two years or what they did with that guy or girl or, or the thing that they should have never thought about or whatever. God, I pray that you would release them from that. God, if they're stuck in their career and they're wanting to know what do you have for me to do, would you give them an urgency, uh, a pull in a, in a direction, God, even as they go their way today. Um, God, if someone's stuck uh, mentally, God, spiritually, God, we pray for release. We pray for restoration. We pray for transformation. God, would you come and meet us in this moment? God, we want to be a church filled with people who don't live by the assumptions of the world. God, we want to know what it's like to have Jesus in an intimate relationship with us, what it's like to follow you, Jesus, what it's like to, to let the voices of condemnation roll off of us so that we can receive the voice of the one who matters most. God, would you come and do what only you can do in this moment? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. And again, guys, we'd love for you to be praying or to be prayed over. Um, let's not walk out of here and go, hey, this is just another Sunday. I felt something, but I didn't act on it. Let's act on where Jesus is leading us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco. 